adaptive immunity is the part of our immune system that changes, that isn't always the same, that really gets tailored to the specific situation that's going on. Mm -hmm. So um, I think a lot of people will find these terms familiar, but I'll go over them anyway. So in adaptive immunity, you have the B cells and the T cells. The B cells is your, what is what we call, um, I'm sorry, is that's the branch of the immune system that actually creates antibodies. So most people know what antibodies are. They've heard them talked about before, but those are the cells that actually work to prevent or to create memories about certain things that happen to you. Welcome to Wild Under Root, a podcast about plants, place, and magic with Lisa Fazio and Pete Bianco. Even if lightning strikes Or if thunder splits the sky If the mountains fall And rivers overflow You can never stop a seed from growing Welcome everybody to this episode of the Wild Under Root podcast. And I am your host, Lisa Fazio. Pete, my co-host, Pete Bianco, is not able to join us today. So it'll just be me. And I'm here with a friend and colleague and former student and apprentice of mine, Lauren Edline. Lauren is a nurse practitioner and a community herbalist in Syracuse, New York, in central New York. She, um, as a nurse practitioner, she currently practices in sexual health with a medical background in endocrinology. Previous to that, she was a critical care nurse in the cardiopulmonary ICU of Upstate University Hospital, specializing in open heart surgery and cardiac arrest. She completed her master's in nursing at SUNY Upstate Medical University and her bachelor's in nursing at Utica College. She has also had formal training in functional and integrative medicine at the Institute for Functional Medicine in Washington, D.C. Lauren started her journey with plant medicine at the Olympia Free Herb Clinic in Olympia, Washington in 2009. She has studied under Seven Song in Ithaca, New York, and completed certificates in advanced Western herbalism and Western clinical herbalism through Paul Bergner at the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism. Most of her training was completed at the Root Circle with myself in Newport, New York, having completed a five-year apprenticeship with continuing mentorship. She helped organize and teach the Utica Herbal Study Group, which we mention here often, in Utica, New York, and most recently has founded the Syracuse Herbal Study Group, which I will post the Facebook link to under in the in the um, show notes. And they have a mission of bringing plant knowledge and skills to the public to help carry out Western herbal traditions into the future, which we need more than ever right now. She is also proud to currently serve as a practicing clinical herbalist in the Syracuse area, specializing in chronic disease management, autoimmune conditions, diabetes, nutritional counseling, and weight loss. Lauren believes strongly in preventative health and living well and works to be of service in these areas. In both her practitioner and educator capacities, she utilizes nutritional interventions, lifestyle changes, herbal therapies, and Western medicine 
to help her community along the path of healing and to promote health empowerment. So welcome, Lauren. Hi. So thanks for joining us. And I love your bio. It's just like, whoa. <laughs> so I, I like to point out to current students and new students how the students that I've had uh, don't necessarily reflect me in any way, shape, or form in that in mentorship or in apprenticeship with whomever you're, you're working with, with any teacher, that I think one of the most important things you can do is find out what your own medicine is and find out how you want to work. And so my job as a teacher is to help cultivate that and, and identify that. And so you started out as a, just a folk herbalist and ended up going into conventional medicine. And now you're integrating those two things. So tonight, yeah. I think just to add to that, you know, when I was working with you and it was the three apprentices and you, we're both, all, all three of us were so different in the way that we ended up using herbs in our daily life and in our professions and I think it's really cool to kind of talk about that you can have those skills and they can be useful in so many different ways yeah and like, I think everybody cool. has a different way that they're going to be expressed mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't and now take on my own students I'm already seeing them come to me and say well this is what my interest in herbs is and I like half the time it's things that I never would have considered wanting to know about herbs for, but it's really cool. Yeah. So you just never know how it's going to look. It's not standardized, which is what I love about it. So tonight our topic is what is the topic on everybody's mind. And we had, I know we had gone back and forth about a few things and it just seemed like we couldn't, what else could we talk about? Right. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't get away from it. No. Literally. Um, we tried. <laughs> the whole world would like to get away from it right now. So our topic for tonight is viruses and respiratory immune stuff, all dealing with our current COVID-19 pandemic. And I just want to start out by saying that everything that's on here tonight is based on our experience not with COVID-19, but with Absolutely. viral patterns, um, what we understand about the immune system, what we understand about the respiratory system in plants. We are, Western herbalists are just starting to, to begin working with their first presumptive and confirmed cases of coronavirus. Um, and you know, I know it's COVID-19. Coronavirus is the word that everybody is using for this. And so I might use that interchangeably. There are several coronaviruses. We know that. Um, I think I've, seen, I've been saying coronavirus and past coronaviruses to differentiate between the two. People seem to, that seems to come naturally for people. So, so yeah. So I kind of go COVID-19 and coronavirus. So. Mm -hmm. But with what we're talking about, the novel coronavirus. And so maybe we should jump in with, well, where do we begin, I guess, is the question. Where do we begin dealing with this? Do we begin with the immune system? 
I know with my own family, friends, and clients, I've been kind of like, okay, let's let's get our immune systems up and in, in ready. So what what are your think what are your thoughts on that? So before I say anything else, I just want to echo and repeat something that you already said because I've been repeating it as well on social media to my clients, to my students, to friends and family. This is all, no matter what kind of practitioner you are, this is your first time using herbs, medicine, whatever, to deal with this virus. So none of us know for sure what's going to work, what's going to not work. And I think that that especially is worth repeating when it comes to social media, because, and I know you and I are going to talk more about elderberry later, but there's just a lot of claims going on right now in the herbal world, in the conventional medical world, that this is what's going to work. This is what's not going to work. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to stay away from. And I would just like to put out there that I think anyone who's making any kind of blanket claim about anything right now, just be really wary of because we're still all just seeing our first cases of this. The first case studies from herbalists I'm just starting to see. And I think that you've just got to keep in mind, like you said, that we're, we're coming at this through our knowledge of how to treat respiratory tract infections and what past coronaviruses have done and responded well to. So my protocols that I've been sharing with people uh, whether they're my immune boosting protocols or my protocols for viral infection. Um, you know, I, I keep reminding people that this is just based on what I know and what has happened already. This is not like a written in stone coronavirus treatment because we just don't have that. And I think that's important to remember and say again. And I think that's true with any, any viral infection. I mean, even when you're talking about the flu, every year the flu strain is different. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like we're... We're always coming at it from how does the body, basically how, how does the immune system mm-hmm. react in the optimal way when we have a pathogenic infection? Right. And looking and at that, symptoms. And that's, and so the first half of what I've been, not half, but the first, you know, information set that I've been sharing with people is definitely the herbs for the immune system. And then um, when I'm teaching, I think going into a little bit about how the immune system works, especially when you're going through something like a viral infection can be helpful. And then, of course, I've been talking to people about the herbs that historically I've used for viral respiratory tract infections. Um, and I also think that the more that we talk about herbs, whether it's you or me or other herbalists out there, some of our herbs are going to overlap and some of them aren't. Um, but I think it's also worth remembering that a lot of these herbs are in short supply right now, which I know you both talked about. So the more you hear herbalists say the buzzwords of certain herbs, the more hard it becomes to keep them stocked for people who really need them. So I'm sure a lot of the herbs I'm going to talk about tonight are already going to be quite hard to find for people, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, and I think one thing we'll make sure to mention is just some kitchen or accessible, even herbs that you can get in the grocery store, so your grocery store is stock. And I just posted about that, that, you know, here, here's some things that you can use, but mm-hmm. please don't go buy all the garlic. <laughs> in the grocery and, it, store. and I think like some of my favorite antiviral herbs are kitchen herbs, like thyme and rosemary and oregano. So <laughs> 
So, and then also I think important to note that here in the Northeast, we are just, spring is just starting and that, you know, once spring comes, we'll have more herbs to work with. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then hopefully the, our herb stores, a lot of herb stores are actually sh- closing. Like, yeah, everybody. I know. Yeah. Well, there's small businesses, right? Just like anywhere else, they're having a tough time right now with, you know, you know, mandates from people from different governments about closing businesses and then not having people that want to come in. So I, I totally understand that as well. So why don't we start with the immune system and maybe we might as well get this out of the way. Should we do that? Should we have, should we talk about elderberry? <laughs> We can go right into it. I, I don't, so the other thing about elderberry that is not the topic that we're going to discuss tonight, but I think it would be good to mention anyway, is that there's a lot of different ways that people use elderberries. Sometimes people use it as a daily preventative, and I personally don't. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I suggest that people take every day. Um, so I use it during active sickness. So I would talk about that as part of my protocols for when you're actually sick, but I know a lot of herbalists do say that they recommend it for people every day as a immune boosting preventative herb. So I think you could talk about it either place. Yeah. And so the, in the latest things that I've seen is not to use it during an active infection, to use it preventatively. And we may, why don't we just, why don't we just go into that? So, get right into it. <laughs> that's been the thing. And that I've gotten a lot of questions about that. Like so you know, many questions from people. <laughs> to use. So the big question with elderberry is that it potentially triggers an immune response which is an inflammatory response. Well, the immune system is inflammation. And so when we talk about using herbs for the immune system, it can mean different things. Elderberry is one that has a specific compound that is known to trigger a cytokine storm. So... A, do you want to talk about a like cytokine storm? Sure. Yeah, I would love to talk about cytokine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think I'm going to back up just a little bit to talk about the immune system because I'm a really detail-oriented person and I'm going to talk about this stuff anyway. Right. Um, so there, there's two different branches of the immune system. So there's your innate immunity and then there's your adaptive immunity. So innate immunity is your inflammatory response, which is actually quite different than this kind of cytokine storm that we're talking about. So so innate immunity is you get a viral infection or you cut your arm open, and the first thing that happens is a bunch of cells and stuff and inflammatory meteors meet meteors mediators flood to the area in order to kind of scope things out. Mm -hmm. Those are the cells that do a lot of the cleanup. They're the cells that start the inflammatory cascade. And yes, there's a lot of mediators there as well, like cytokines and histamine that get released. Um, But it's kind of phase one. So that happens no matter what, whether it's an injury or a pathogen, you're going to have this inflammatory response. And we really depend on that to keep our bodies safe because no matter what happens, inflammation is always going to be relatively relatively reliable and relatively consistent. Mm. 
adaptive immunity is the part of our immune system that changes, that isn't always the same, that really gets tailored to the specific situation that's going on. So um, I think a lot of people will find these terms familiar, but I'll go over them anyway. So in adaptive immunity, you have the B cells and the T cells. The B cells is your, what is what we call, um, I'm sorry, is that's the branch of the immune system that actually creates antibodies. So most people know what antibodies are. They've heard them talked about before, but those are the cells that actually work to prevent or to create memories about certain things that happen to you. Mm -hmm. So this is really, really important during times of viral and fungal and bacterial infection, because the first time you get it, you're going to make all these antibodies. And then when it happens again, your body's going to be better equipped to fight it off more quickly and with fewer symptoms. So the hope is that the second time you get whatever it is, your body's going to be so capable of taking care of it because it's already put the soldiers in place it needs to fight it, that you're barely going to know that it's happening. And it's, that's part of what the issue is with this novel coronavirus. Right. Is that none of our bodies are used to it. Right. And the second thing, and, and I don't, we're not going to get into a big conversation about this now, but B cell immunity and antibody response is also the theory behind vaccines, which is a completely different topic, but that is what vaccines are aimed at taking advantage of, is this creation of a memory. Um, but we do it all the time, no matter what. Our bodies are doing this all the time. So the other side of adaptive immunity is this T-cell mediated immunity. Um, with T-cell immunity, this isn't creating antibodies. This isn't taking a memory. T-cells actually go out and they, I picture them as just kind of like the infantry. So they're going out and they're the ones that are either directly killing pathogens or they're triggering a further response to get other help to the area to attack the pathogens directly. Mm -hmm. This is where a lot of cytokines come into play and where we start talking in really fancy terms like pro-inflammatory T cells and inflammatory modulating cells and anti-inflammatory T cells and all these buzzwords that I know that I've been seeing across my Facebook feed an awful yeah. lot. Um, interleukin and all of these sorts of things are part of T-cell immunity. Um, now this branch of the immune system is able to make inflammatory, the inflammatory response stronger or weaker. And I think when we talk, it's important to know that when we talk about a cytokine storm, what's happening is that your body is pulling out all the stops, breaking over the dam, and all of the pro-inflammatory T cells are completely taking over and it's upregulating the, the inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. And there's all of these mediators released that just take the inflammatory snowball and just cycle it until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, elderberry, um, and this is of course based on you know, my knowledge and my experience with using it, is that elderberry actually activates the immune system in ways that we want it to do. So when, you're, when you have the flu or a cold and you take elderberry, a lot of the research about it shows that it's actually able to upregulate these T cells so that they do a better job attacking the virus, which is what we want elder to do. Hmm. Um, 
now, the cytokine storm that they're talking about with coronavirus, and again, this is changing by the hour, so I am by no means an expert on coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, is that they're seeing that in the ICU, people who are on ventilators, very sick with coronavirus, seem to be getting something called SIRS, which is a systemic inflammatory response syndrome, which means that your body, it's... It's, it's immune response and the inflammatory response is so strong that you're going into shock, which means that all of the capillaries and blood vessels are so wide open trying to get inflammatory cells and mediators to sources of infection that you basically lose your blood pressure. It's the same thing that happens in anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the cytokine storm that's causing all of this shock and end organ damage that people are talking about. And it seems that something about this virus is turning on this response in people. And the reason why people are worried about elderberry is that they're thinking, well, huh, if elder does this to people on purpose, turns on these mediators, Mm-hmm. What if we give it to someone whose body is already a little bit out of control? Do you think it would might it might make it worse? Um, but it seems that there's not really what I have read a lot of evidence that that's actually happening. But then I don't know how many people are sitting in the ICU who are willing to be test subjects for what happens if you give them a whole lot of elderly. Yeah, and I think that's a part. I think that's one of the most important points is that you know, a lot of this is speculative. I haven't seen anything that wasn't speculative. I do, have, I, I do have um, Paul Bergner. I don't know if you've seen his most recent stuff from the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism, which I will also put a link to in the show notes. Um, there, I, I, they have a whole page on COVID-19. What he says here is, I'll just read a little bit of it. Elderberry extracts were shown to enhance both inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines in human cells in lab experiments. In another lab study, an extract of Sambucus flowers inhibited all pro-inflammatory cytokines measured. Another yet showed regulation through partial inhibition of inflammatory cytokines. So, um, and then he goes into a little bit about echinacea as well. So, it's definitely speculative. Um, and let's see, the other one that I have is from Stephen Buner, who included Elder in his COVID-19 protocols, which were based on the previous coronaviruses, mm-hmm. SARS in particular, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made it really clear that he was talking about Elder Leaf, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so there was a little confusion there, but um, what he said, in, in anybody can find this on his Facebook page if you're on Facebook. A lot of these conversations are going on on Facebook right now. A lot of the conversations are going on on Facebook. If you want to dive into that, that's the place to be. Um, so Stephen says, the concern with varying degrees of phytohysteria <laughs> is that it raises <laughs> is that it raises TNFA, or that it stimulates cytokine upregulation, or that it will cause or enhance a cytokine storm. So A, 
I don't like the elderberry and I'm not recommending it. I am recommending elderly for stem. The elderly stem and berry are not the same things. They do not contain the same constituents. Um, Elderleaf is a Th1 and Th2 modulator that it modulates cytokines, raising them if low, lowering them if high. Um, however, with elderberry, there is some evidence that it raises TNFA and Th1 cytokines. There is some problem with this as a blanket statement. I know in herbal antivirals that in mice who are infected with malaria, the use of Sambucol and elderberry extract TNFA increased, making the condition worse. Then I note that elderberry possibly stimulates Th1 cytokines. Another study found that in 12 healthy human volunteers, Thimbuchal did in fact increase Th1 cytokines, especially TNFA. This could indeed be a problem, or it could not. In those studies, elderberry was given to both mice and men as a single herb. It was not surrounded by other herbs in a complex protocol, and many of the other herbs are in fact potent cytokine normalizers. So that's another... Basically, um, we don't know. <laughs> so, what I, so, so what I have, what I've come up with is, oh, and the other point I just want to make is that mm -hmm. there is an, an anecdotal data, which I think is extremely valuable and valid, from people who have autoimmune conditions that have had an autoimmune trigger using elderberry. Mm -hmm. And there are, I, so I have not seen that in my practice, but people have. Also, some people with autoimmune, and this is what I've seen, autoimmune conditions are actually helped. They benefit from using elderberry. So basically, yeah. what's that? Well, and, and this has come up with my students as well. When we did our cold and flu class and when we did our elder class, this came up a lot about this question with elder and autoimmune conditions because I have some students that have rheumatoid arthritis and some other things going on. And, um, you know, it was, I told them exactly what you just said. My thinking on it has always been the same, that there's, you know, there's evidence that, you know, and speculation that with certain autoimmune conditions, it can cause issues um, because it does kind of upregulate the immune system, which especially if you're on drugs that are supposed to do the opposite, at very least it's something to be, have an open conversation with your physician and your herbalist about so that everybody has all the information. Um, but I also, I think that that issue is still separate from this. So I think that you can have an autoimmune condition and not use elder because you have an autoimmune condition. And I think that that's still separate from the kinds of things we're talking about with the cytokine storm, because those are two separate things completely. Yes, they are. So, and what you, we're, you're talking about is when there's an extreme crisis and yeah. person has been sick already and this is something that's going to happen, that's happening. And, and, and the truth is people in those circumstances who are in those circumstances in ICU units right now aren't taking elderberry. Well, and so that's the thing is that this is also all speculative, right? So like people are thinking that this could possibly be a problem. So maybe just don't do it. Um, but there's 
far as I know, there's been no actual people who they've been like, oh, this person's having a cytokine storm because of coronavirus. And it looks like their daily elderberry that they were taking probably made that worse or increased the chance that that happened. Right. But it doesn't mean the opposite either. It just means that we don't have any data to actually study on that. So one of the, some of the data we do have is about the effect that elderberry does have on viral replication and, Mm -hmm. and how it, it helps support the cell wall protecting itself from, from viruses. And so at least in, as a preventative, and if not in the initial phases of a viral infection, it can prevent the virus from replicating or being able to have access to the cell wall. Yes, and there's been some great studies done on that in utero, and I I had them pulled up, but I don't unfortunately have them pulled up anymore. So my my recommendation on it has been that if you if you have an autoimmune disease and you haven't already used elder, don't try it now. Good idea. <laughs> if you've benefited from it and you have an autoimmune disease, then, then and you don't have a problem with it. It's fine. And if you don't have an autoimmune condition and you want to use it as a preventative, it's fine. And, and I am. My last recommendation on that is if you see somebody post something about an herb or elder on Facebook, um, just again, just nobody knows anything for sure. Um, there's been a lot of people saying, don't use elder. Elder is going to put you in a cytokine storm. And it's, nobody knows anything for sure. So everybody is just guessing at this point. And I think we just have to be careful about social media. And I feel like that has mostly been my standpoint on absolutely everything since this whole thing started. So maybe we could share some good sources of information on social media, like for instance, Seven Song is mm-hmm. a trusted source. Paul Bergner, Paul Bergner, Stephen Buner for sure, um, Rosalie Defrat, and I'll put I'll put their names. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say Jim McDonald as well. Jim McDonald, um, Janet Kent from Terra Silva, Terra Silva. School of Herbal Medicine and Dave Meters. Um, those are a few that I can think of. And I'll, if I think of any more, Matt Wood. Oh, yeah, Matt Wood, of course. Um, um, and then, I mean, like you, of course. <laughs> and you, of course. <laughs> so, okay, so that's what we have on elderberry. So, do you want to go into some other immune? Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, I think I'm gonna, um, just add like a disclaimer about myself. I mean, most of my students who are listening are going to laugh at me because every time that we have a class, I say this every single time is that I, I teach and I practice and I understand herbs energetically. I am not the kind of person that can tell you like why the specific tannins in dandelion root are going to cause your liver to heal. Um, I'm going to tell you about why herbs that are cold and dry can help your liver heal. So I'm going to try just for the sake of this podcast to not do that as much as I usually do so that it remains really understandable to everybody listening, but I probably will hit on some of that as well. Okay. So 
I think that as far as like immune support goes, when I think of immune support, I'm talking about things that are going to help build your immune system when you're not sick, which I think is what we're talking about at this point with like yes. immune. Okay. Um, so herbs that I've always really loved for that are first rose hips, very high in vitamin C. And I think they're really a special plant that doesn't always get a lot of focus. And I remember when I was starting to learn about herbs, I didn't even know what a rose hip was. And, um, they're a really, really, really amazing asset during times when we want to build our immunity and build our vitamin C. So rose hips are the little ball that forms on the, at where the rose body used to be in the fall. So you would gather those and you can use them as tea. I use them in my winter wellness syrup. And then I really like astragalus okay. and I like astragalus as an immune builder as well. But it does have a little bit of that aspect of it where you don't want to use it during active illness because it kind of focuses your immune system in the wrong direction. So this, I actually, this analogy I learned from Seven Song when I was a student of his, and this isn't anything that's like, this isn't based on biology or science. It's just a way for, I think, all of us to understand the way that herbs can affect our immunity and the way to look at what our goals are at different times. So if you think of your immune system as a castle, you know, during times of health, what you want to do is build the wall. So you're building up the wall around your castle to keep all the bad people and things and beasties out. So that's a really awesome goal when it's peacetime and, you know, you've got farmers in the field and extra hands on deck to lay bricks and everything's peachy. So when you're under attack, somebody's actively attacking you, you really hope that the wall you built is strong enough and high enough to keep them out. But if they get in, you don't want your soldiers to continue building the wall because at that point it's done. So mm. You took all of your soldiers and kept them laying bricks, then you're not going to have anybody to actually fight off the you. Right. I love that analogy. Isn't it great? I've always, and I, I use that with people all the time. And um, I think that astragalus is a wall builder and it's really, really wonderful for peacetime herbalism when you're well and you're trying to prevent infection. But once you're actively sick, I think it continues to steer your immune system towards wall building instead of active fighting. Um, so again, I usually tell my patients and my students to stop astragalus once they're sick. Yes, same here. Um, the other thing I'll mention is that Matt Wood talks about that it actually closes the periphery. Mm, which you definitely don't want to do when you're sick. You want to do. So, um, so it keeps, so as an immune builder, it's going to keep you warm, but once you need to release, so what he says is that you want to be, when you're sick, you want to be able to release out. You want things mm -hmm. to move from the inside, toxins build up right. from the inside out. And he, right. what he's saying is from ch what the Chinese doctors are saying is that this virus is energetically, um, cold damp turbidity mm -hmm. which is basically like stuck stuff stuck yep. mucus, yeah. like mud is yep. damp so 
with something like astragalus, um, you would you would stop it so right. that you can start taking diaphoretics and stuff to move things out. Right. So other herbs that I like for immune building are not like immune herbs, but I really think that liver support and GI support, especially during the winter months, is extremely helpful. So I really like things like dandelion and burdock. Mm. I think they're really safe herbs that for most people you can use on a daily basis without risking a lot of energy or sorry, injury. Um, I think they also kind of help the detox pathways, including your GI tract and your liver and your kidneys working properly, which can be really, really important when you're trying to maintain your body's ability to get rid of stuff. Mm. Um, for just because cold, flu, upper respiratory infections are so common this time of year, I think for anybody living in the Northern Hemisphere in the winter months, I like to add mullein because mm -hmm. um, there is some elements of lung protection there. Mullein is such a wonderful plant and I, you know, we love it for coughs and sore throats. But another thing that's great about mullein is that it actually helps lubricate the little tiny, yeah. you know, bubbles at the bottom of the base of your lungs, which are responsible for making sure that you're exchanging gases with your circulation properly. And mullein actually helps lubricate them and make sure that they work properly. And that comes into play really, really strongly when you have someone that's dealing with a pneumonia or a deep bronchitis, which is what they're finding is actually really hurting people with coronavirus is when it gets so far down into the lungs that you end up with pneumonia, which is right. so dangerous to our older populations. And mullein is a really good tool to prevent your lungs from collapsing, the lower part of your lungs from collapsing. Um, so I really like mullein in the wintertime as well. So the only thing that I think I would add to that is... Oh, I more. <laughs> Please. No, maybe I should let you, you're probably going to talk about this. Okay, I, I was just going to say, um, would be in the winter in cold, damp climates would be warming things. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So another one that I put, I'm going through the herbs that I put in my winter wellness syrup because mm -hmm. these are usually the things I tell people to take every day. Ginger is in there for sure. Um, I like ginger because out of all of the herbs that I use in my own personal apothecary people, people, it is a wonderful opener and it's a wonderful mover. So yes, it's a warming herb. And, you know, I wouldn't argue with anyone saying that ginger is warming, but at the same time, it allows the channels in your body to open up. Your blood vessels dilate a little bit and helps blood move through more properly. So it does have that function especially when you do get sick, to help the eliminatory channels of your body. And it also helps um, move heat and toxins to the periphery. And I really, really like it with things like, you know, any kind of stagnant congestion. Ginger is wonderful for, and that definitely comes into play when you're sick. So, um, and I think, I think you made a good point, which I'll just add a little bit to, which is that part of our immune health is that things are toned and able to move at a regular rate. Yep. So, so it's like you don't want excess sweating and you don't want no sweating. You want your body to be able to thermoregulate and something like ginger. So part of that process is practicing it. So mm -hmm. it's like keeping things moving. Mm -hmm. so I think ginger helps a lot with that. I don't, I don't, 
usually advise or suggest that people take large amounts of ginger when they're not ill. When they are ill, that could be a different story depending on what's going on. Um, the last thing, my last herb that I would, I would put in like a tonic or um, a formula for immune building is nettle. Um, I like nettle for a few reasons. First of all, I think it can really help regulate cytokine reactions. Mm. And I also like it because it's That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I also, it's just a really, really nutritive plant. So I think that one of the things that happens, especially in the winter in this area, when we're all gross and disgusting and inside and on top of each other, is that our vitality really suffers. Mm. So in theory, a lot of us are outside more in the summer months. We're more active. Um, but I, I think that what I see from people during the winter, especially if they already have a constitution that's cold, is they just get colder. And a lot of times what comes along with that is just this like decay and atrophy of somebody's vitality. Um, and I think that nettle can be really helpful just to nourish the person. Mm. And that can, and burdock is something that I use for that too. But if someone is going to get sick during the winter, I, I always think one of the best things that you can do is to give them the building blocks for good nutrition and nourishment to keep their vitality up. I think nettle really does that nicely. I also think that it helps tone the kidneys a little bit, which is again, just important to keep those channels of elimination strong and clear to prevent when you're trying to prevent um, infection and to get rid of toxins if you do become sick. Yeah, I love nettles. Me too. Um, great. So, all right. So we've got. That's all. I, those are my immune herbs. Um, so, anything you want to add? So the the so the only one I would add. I don't even know if you'd call this an immune, um, but um, is garlic, and. I don't, it's not, garlic is definitely not something I recommend eating raw every day. Mm -hmm. um, and that became really popular, people eating cloves of garlic raw. And the reason why is because it's really, really hot and dry. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think in soups and stews on a regular basis, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's awesome. It is, so I can't remember who said it, but they said it wasn't antiviral, but it is antiviral. So it I- It is antiviral, for yeah. sure. And it's antibacterial, and um, so and it's great if you're sick as well. So you can take it in your soups and stews. So for me, it's like soups and stews, garlic bread, and of course, um, in Italian folk medicine, I wear it around my neck <laughs> um, as a as an amulet, um, and then in my soups and stews. And then when we're sick. Again, it can be really heating. And I think with this particular virus, we want to be careful with that. I would definitely put it in some honey and butter to cool That's it down. Good. So whenever my kids were sick, I couldn't get them all to eat raw garlic, but I had a couple that would do it. And, <laughs> and, and um, they were always happy they did. But um, we always did like toast with a bunch of butter and honey on it, and then you'd eat it. So yeah, garlic. You know, garlic is one of those herbs that I think of for acute illness. Um, I think that exactly like you said, like if you're not sick, soups, stews, breads, butters. Like I think that's a really great idea. But I, I 
because it's so hot and so dry and can actually in a lot of ways kind of be a little bit be a little bit cooling in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect um just because it opens the channels and moves blood so yeah so, it can you up too much for sure yeah yeah um i definitely wouldn't use even strong doses on a daily basis but um i do like it like it's it's one of it's on my list of like fighting plants like if you're really needing to fight off something garlic is definitely and it's i mean it's a great fire cider herb as well so it's on the fire cider herb list which is another thing I love for, for viral infection. Are we allowed to say fire cider? We can say fire cider, right? Yes! Yay! <laughs> fire cider is that free. Was a joke. That was an herb joke. Of course, I'm going to say fire cider. <laughs> All right. So we did some immune stuff. Where do we want to go from here? Antivirals? I mean, I know there's so much crossover here. I mean, I think that that's another important thing to mention that it's like, Herbs are so complex. Oh, um, yeah. All of these herbs are herbs I use for, like, a bunch of other things, too. So. <laughs> so why don't we talk about antivirals? I think before we do that, I'm going to make a plug for remembering the order in which we treat people. And I think that it's important to note that we can't talk about herbs until we talk about lifestyle and nutrition. Okay. That's um, because I think that a lot of us, especially the, those of us who are really, really busy and have crazy schedules, we forget about just the basic building blocks. And I don't think that herbs function like pills do. And I think that we, we can't always just throw an herb at something. And if there's stuff that needs to be addressed that's on a more fundamental level, it's probably not going to do exactly what we wanted to do because there's other stuff there that needs to be fixed first. And I, I think also that good nutrition and um, especially just kind of stuff, remembering that movement when you're not ill, when you are feeling well, mm. exercise keeps your immune system really strong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sweating helps remove toxins and open your pores and keep your channels of elimination open. And it gets your body ready for times when you are sick right. because it, it actually helps stimulate a lot of energy production. Um, the other thing is nutrition. I'm not the kind of person, I, and I'm not the kind of practitioner, nurse practitioner, herbalist, whatever. I am not the kind of person that tells people to starve an infection. Mm -hmm. I have seen a lot of people get more sick instead of better because they weren't eating the things that you need to eat in order to build your immunity and actually create the cells and the proteins that your body needs to fight infection properly. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, when it's wintertime, when it's cold out, nutritive carbohydrates, meat, if that's something that you like to eat or choose to eat. And I think staying away from a lot of processed foods and sugars, which put a lot of stress on the body, are really important things. And then when you do get sick, I know that a lot of times people's ability to eat does go down, especially if you're having GI symptoms that go along with it. But please don't go on a juice cleanse if you get an upper respiratory tract infection. Yeah, right. It's not the time. Um, cutting out, you know, all of your nutritive whole foods are, it's not the time. Do it a different time or better, don't do it at all. Um, well, and also just one of the things that can happen, I know with juice cleanses, but 
any type of fasting is constipation. And yeah, absolutely. Definitely something you do not want in acute illness. Um, it's just something that you don't want <laughs> when so, you're keeping your immune system up. So just a plug that, you know, when you're sick, you want your nutrition to build. You don't want it to deplete. And I, you know, our immune system functions on protein. It's just the way that it is. So if you're deciding that the way to cure your illness is all of a sudden to go vegan when you weren't before, it's probably yeah. not the time to make that decision because your body's not going to know how to react. Um, so just keep up nutrition as you can. Wholesome, nutritive carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, root vegetables, beans, and then clean meats and warming foods like soups and stews. Please don't eat raw salads all day long in the winter. We're not, our bodies aren't set up for that. Um, okay, so then I think we can move on to food. So what would be your next area of herb? So I kind of have um, my immune system herbs, as in immune system herbs when you're sick not when you're healthy. And then I have supportive herbs like that would give respiratory support. And I kind of keep those in a different category. Mm -hmm. So we could, we could do whichever you wanted. We could do symptomatic lung support, or we could talk about kind of the quote unquote antiviral. Let's, sort of thing. let's go to lung support because I think okay. if, if for our listeners, I think that's good. It's like, okay, so this is what I can do for my immune system. This is what I can do for my lungs before you even have to start thinking about a viral infection. Okay, let's do that. I'm getting to the part of my notes where I <laughs> talk about that. Okay, um, so do you want- well, I mentioned mullen, so, so we can, that would definitely be one that would be under lung support, would be mullen. So I have, um, and this is all based on the recent blog post that I did on COVID-19, and I go through all of this on my blog as well which we will give the website for. Yeah. Okay, so um, mullen and plantain I grouped together. I like both of them for lung support and I, they're, they're membrane soothers. So plantain and mullen mm. help to kind of normalize secretions in the lungs and actually help your throat and airways feel better. So I, they inject moisture into hot, raw tissue, and mullein in particular helps the lungs perform air exchange. Um, and I think they're both great supportive herbs that can help kind of coat the mucosa when you've been coughing up a storm and you just can't handle it anymore, but also can help dry secretions that are causing problems in the deeper airways. So I really like both of those together. I use them together quite often for lung Is support. Tea or what's your favorite way to use those? I guess it depends on where the infection is. So I, and I think right, right now we're definitely talking about, you know, if we're talking about COVID-19, flu, pneumonia, we're talking about deep-seated infections. I think that, I think I would probably do them as a tea or tincture. But I use mullen and I use mullen and plantain for things like simple coughs and sore throats as well, um, because the membranes in the throat I think benefit from them as well. And in which case, I like to do them in a preparation that will actually get the plants to sit on the actual membranes themselves. In which case, I like a lukewarm tea, not a really hot tea, because sometimes the people who are suited to use these plants 
have a lot of friction in their throat from repeated coughing and kind of a hot raw feeling and hot tea might not feel super awesome on those membranes. Yeah, I, like, I definitely like plantain as a tea when you're talking about throat and upper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, my next category, um, my next category is expectorants. So I like alicampane and I like colt's foot. Mm -hmm. um, so these are herbs that help our bodies get stuff out of the lungs that really shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And this becomes really important when you've got somebody who has pneumonia or a bronchitis that has moved deeper, like a deep chronic bronchitis. And I think with expectorants, we just picture this herb and the person takes it and now they're coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And that's really not how expectorants work. So expectorants actually go down and they jiggle stuff up and they take stuff that wasn't supposed to be there and help your body get rid of it more effectively. And then the cough eases a little bit. And you know, one thing that they're finding with this particular virus in advanced stages, and especially with the elderly, elderly and people who end up being in the ICU, is that they've got this gunk so far down in their lungs that there's just no getting it out. So they end up requiring a ventilator. And these herbs, you know, at least for what we've seen in, in people with pneumonia and other kinds of infections, is that they're able to loosen up some of those secretions inject a little moisture into them and then help the body get them out effectively. So I think that's a really important class of herbs to talk about right now. Anything to add to, add to that? Um, you, so you said alicampane. What was the other one you mentioned? Colt's foot. I like Colt's foot too. Um, the, uh, the one that I would mention is white pine needles. And so this, these are not going to be found on the commercial market very well. So I'm not sure if you may find it in some little side herbalist, maybe on Etsy or whatever. They are abundant wild where I live. Um, and I will post a link to the blog post that I made about white pine needles. Oh, cool. But um, definitely, well, one thing, they're high in vitamin C. Mm -hmm. They are expectorant, particularly for that thick green mucus. Mm -hmm. White pine needle tea is one of my favorites. Once you've got that deep embedded infection. Um, for lung, like supportive, not infection, um, I would say reishi mushroom is one of my favorites there. But right now, mm -hmm. you cannot get reishi. I was just going to say, you probably can't find it anywhere. <laughs> um, no, I just made um, a double extraction you have to double extract it. I just made one last week. It's going to be, you know, at least a couple more weeks from reishi that I gathered here. Um, and I'm not going to have much. I wouldn't, you know, it's going to be just enough for my clients probably and myself, but yeah. So I don't know where to get it right now. I'll look and if I can find any place, um, I'll put it in the show notes. I'm hesitant again to, um, I'm hesitant to out your sources. <laughs> well, I just don't want people to, um, you know, we just got to be careful that you said it, I think in the beginning that we leave the really 
potent herbs for people who really need them and that mm -hmm. those of us who are not at high risk use more accessible herbs and more abundant herbs. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. I think, I think reishi is worth mentioning here. Um, and I will say, um, talking about my blog already, I do have a post on Colt's foot that I did last month before any of this started, which I now think is a coincidence question mark. <laughs> um, but that one you can find on my blog as well. And Colt's foot is one of our earlier plants that comes out. It's not out yet, but it is one of our earlier in the year plants. Um, so the other, the other category that I have here under lung support is kind of antimicrobial herbs that have a special affinity to the respiratory tract. So I didn't put that under my quote unquote antiviral because I think they're worth mentioning in lung support because they're, they tend to be so specific. So I like thyme and usnea. Those are the ones that I just want to hit on. I was going to say so, thyme. Yeah. yeah, thyme is such a great one. So thyme is so helpful in bronchitis and pneumonia. Um, and I think that it's just got this wonderful antiviral property, but also helps with coughs and symptomatic things that happen when you're sick with a respiratory tract infection. Mm. So it's a great antiseptic for lung infections in particular. And then I love usnea. So usnea has been kind of like one of my oldest friends uh, since I became an herbalist. I was trained as an herbalist initially on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest, where usnea is actually like a thing that people use all the time. The herbalists out there are really familiar with it, where, you know, I came here and there weren't as many people using it because we don't have as much of it, right? And like out there, it hangs in like these huge bogs. Like I know. It's... Um, <laughs> And so it was one of the first herbs I learned about, and mm -hmm. it was one of, it went on to be one of the first herbs I used when I started treating friends and family uh, when I was a younger herbalist. It was one of the first herbs I used with success, which is always like when you're first getting started and you give someone an herb and then it works, you're like, oh, this herbalism thing is like a real thing. And then, so it, it kind of, those herbs take a, a special place in, in your heart. And so usnea is a lichen that grows from the trees. It's also called old man, old man's beard. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a great antiviral, antiseptic, antifungal. Mm. Um, and it's used a lot for things like strep and staph infection, um, which is mostly where I've used it. But it's actually pretty wonderful for any kind of infection in the lungs, including those that affect you more deep down and not just in the throat. So I like usnea for everything that happens in the and lungs. It looks like the bronchial tubes of your lungs. Yes, it so does. Oh my god, <laughs> it's like um, like that is such a signature. Mm -hmm. Just looking at it, it's like they're like lung. They're like little clump lung clumps. They do. They look like little bronchioles. And when I um, when I went back to visit Oregon after I started working with you and with Seven Song, I went back to visit friends in Oregon, and like I took back with me like a ton of Oregon grapefruit and a ton of usnea and put it in my carry on. And when I went through airport TSA, they were looking at me like, "What is going on?" They opened up this huge bag full of all this lichen, and they just. <laughs> 
I've, like, gone, I've gone through I've gone <laughs> through security with backpacks and yeah and they were worried that I was going to take, because the Oregon grapefruit, it kind of looks like holly. Like, it's got pointy edges on it. And so they, they were worried I was going to use it as some kind of weapon on the plane, because it was these branches with, you know, prickers on the end. And then, I don't know, the oofsing, it just, it, it looks like a sketchy plant. It looks, you know, like you're going to do something highly suspicious with it. So. <laughs> don't trust the oofsing, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Um, but I would use both of those as tincture if I was going to use them for antiseptic properties, for sure. All right. The last thing I have, um, and I think we have to use some of these with care um, when someone has stuff that's stuck deep down. Um, I, I have some herbs on my list of antispasmodics for the lungs. Hmm. Um, I'm noting them here because they can be really important with things like shortness of breath and inflammation in the bronchioles and in the trachea, which is something that happens a lot, especially when infections start high and work their way down low. So people who are feeling the beginning of this illness, the shortness of breath and, you know, feeling like their throat is closing and then having a sore throat and this dry cough. So a lot of that gets caused by inflammation in the upper airways, which is a normal thing to have happen. Mm. Um, your body is trying to inflame your upper airways the way that it knows how to get stuff to the area and solve the problem. The problem is, is that if too much swelling and inflammation happens at the area, it kind of makes it hard to breathe and you get this shortness of breath that can be kind of counterproductive. So while we're using antiviral herbs to try to keep it from moving further down and expectorants to try to keep it from moving farther down and get all the stuff up, I do think there's a place for antispasmodic herbs to kind of release some of that, that tension that happens in the upper airways. So I like for this on my list, I have things like peppermint, eucalyptus, and cayenne. And a lot of these are kind of the traditional herbs that we use for congestion. Um, I like eucalyptus steams. Um, I like rubs actually rubbed on the skin around those areas. And I like them as tea as well. So this kind of helps open up the bronchioles, open up the trachea, open up the airway, open up the capillary bed to kind of release some of the some of the tension that a lot of inflammation can cause and a lot of discomfort. Uh, the reason why I say use them with care is because we want to maintain enough tone in the respiratory tract, especially if things move further down, that your body can still, that your body can still get things out by itself. So really strong antispasmodics for the respiratory tract, like lobelia, um, you know, we don't want to give somebody a bunch of herbs that make it easier for them to breathe, but they've lost all their muscular tone and now they can't cough things out effectively. Mm -hmm. So I would just be careful about the amount of antispasmodic support we do give to people when we're really relying on a healthy cough reflex. Not that a cough is always fun. And certainly there's times when it's counterproductive. And we want to address that, especially if it's a strong spasmodic cough that's not actually doing anything. But if there's gunk further down, then I think one of the 
most supportive things we can do as herbalists is to give herbs that help loosen it and get it out. And sometimes antispasmodic herbs can make that more difficult. So that's the only word of warning I would get. So I do. So I think that topical steams are really great, less dangerous way to do that, um, that are good support for anyone anytime. And I like them because they're used kind of on the exterior instead of in big doses taken internally. So can you just explain, so you're, you're saying eucalyptus. Eucalyptus, a- yep. I like eucalyptus, peppermint, and I sometimes also like cayenne for that. You use eucalyptus herb? I use, so if I'm going to do a steam or make a rub, I will use the essential oil. Um, I don't use essential oils internally, but I do like them as antispasmodics for as steams or as a rub or a salve. What would, what are you calling a rub? Like, can you, like. I guess I should say salve. So if you you are making a salve with essential oils and kind of rubbing it on the throat, sinuses, upper respiratory tract, I think that it can be helpful to break up some of the phlegm and then kind of help release you know, spasm in the airways. So you're, you're so eucalyptus salve or like an essential oil steam. Yeah, that would be, I, I have good success with both of those. So um, maybe, so some people might not know. So for steam, you would say um, heat up a quart, two quarts of water on a, in a pan. I usually do it on a pan, mm-hmm. in a pan on the stove. And, and then you don't want to burn yourself so you don't want it to be super super hot but you want right. to steam and then how much how many drops would you use of eucalyptus i never measure any. any um it's a really strong essential oil yeah. all essential oils are really strong but this one in particular i feel like again oh. when i was a young herbalist you learn a lot of things the hard way and i definitely like burned my sinuses by using too much essential oil Um, So I would start with just a few drops and see how it goes. And then you can always add more if you, if it's needed. But since we're kind of talking about symptomatic support, I think that when you feel, you know, if you're having shortness of breath, if you feel like there's a lot of swelling in your airway or congestion in your sinuses, I think that when those start to open up, you know, I think you've kind of got it at the sweet spot there. I wouldn't use more than three or four drops to start and yeah, see how it goes. About three to five drops. Yeah, exactly. So, and then when you're talking about peppermint, are you talking about tea? That's usually how I use it. Or are you talking about a steam as well? I mean, it could be. Um, so I think that you could use, again, a lot of times with respiratory stuff, since it's an organ system that is really accessible, as far as like we can go, they have a relationship with the outside world. They're kind of superficial in a lot of ways, at least the upper respiratory tract. I like to get stuff directly on the area if I can. So again, I would use a salve, a peppermint salve or a steam in the same way that I would use eucalyptus, but I think you can use it in, I do use it internally at the tea and a tincture quite often with people as well. Um, Especially if I think that, if I think that one of my main goals is circulatory, so I, one of my goals then becomes not just respiratory support, but helping open up the capillary bed and the blood vessels to kind of yes. relieve tension in the, in the circulatory system, then I definitely would use a tincture or a tea. Yeah. And that can be helpful in the exact same way. So you're opening up tension in the vessels, which allows kind of that, that heat and spasm and inflammation to escape a little bit and also helps 
new stuff come to the area because when when old stuff has been there too long we really need to move it so that new stuff can come right so you want the blood going in and out basically right and that's one of my favorite that's one of my favorite things to do with mints so i actually have like pages of notes when we did our cold and flu class about mints in particular and their unique energetics and the way that they help the body do that i love mints during cold and flu especially especially peppermint um but i think that you know a lot of mints overlap like that and then you know we had a whole class that we did just on mints but i think rosemary oregano thyme peppermint um they all warm and cool slightly differently but i i think that they're uniquely suited to infection i mean i'm doing those i'm doing peppermint sage um rosemary like every day that's my like my everyday tea right now I love rosemary. Rosemary is my favorite. I went on a rosemary tangent and we did our mint class and I was just like, rosemary is so great. Everybody should be using rosemary. It's underappreciated and we should talk about it. We should have a class just on, like, I don't know. I go through phases with certain herbs where I just I like, did a whole class on rosemary. <laughs> I love rosemary. I love, I don't love that I can't grow it here. It doesn't grow here. It doesn't, it doesn't grow. grow. Rosemary? No. No. Oh. I mean, Mine does. I, I cheat in my garden and I grow rosemary that's already a baby plant and then I transplant it and it usually does okay. So. And you what? I transplant it and then it usually does okay. You so. transplant it into your house? No, I, plant my, I transplant it into my garden. And then, but doesn't it freeze over the winter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to redo it every year. <laughs> okay. I was like, where do you live? Because don't you live in the same place I do? These Syracuse, we're just lying to everybody in Utica. We're really in tropical climate. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can do that. I plant it, and I, that's what I do. I plant it in my garden. But, you know, there are some people, friends of mine locally here, who they dig it up every year, and then they, then they bring it in, and they keep it alive all winter, and then they take it back out and plant it in the ground again. Or they just keep it alive in pots all year long. And mm -hmm. I just, I, I've never been, I have never, I've tried 10 seasons, and I've never so I'm really good at killing indoor plants yeah, so I am really good at like outside gardens and wild crafting yeah. but I can't do indoor plants I my, my aloe plant which is a succulent I managed to underwater a cactus yeah <laughs> well, I, I'm with you I people I get you know I get all kinds of questions and it's like I don't I have a black thumb like I <laughs> I know I'm an herbalist, but it's like, I, I use wild plants first and foremost because they just grow and I don't have to keep them alive in a container. Yeah. Well, it gardening is time consuming. You know, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's really great, but like, you know, it's a lot of work. So sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's challenging. Yeah. So, right. well, we talk about, what do you talk about next? Um, well, I, what, what have we not covered? I feel like. So uh, I wanted, I just want to go through a couple points on, on this. Uh, oh, and I should also say that because of everything going on, the huge amount of notes that I compiled for our cold and flu class, which involves a five page study guide, a protocol for cold and flu, four, three or four different recipes and a extensive Materia Medica, my own personal Materia Medica, um, 
All of that is compiled into a document on my website. If you go to my website and you go under writings, there's click on the file that says viral respiratory and all of that stuff is now there for free. Please use it, please read it. So I did make that available. Um, it's a lot of information, but I, I felt like it was worth it to give that to people with everything going on. But I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go through part of it now. Um, and this is just stuff I wanna run through about kind of the more antiviral herbs and what our goals are. And this is, I'm gonna talk about energetics for a minute. So I'm just gonna, I'm actually just gonna read from what I have up on my website. So um, when we talk about an antiviral verb, verb, herb, at least when I talk about an antiviral herb, it's not necessarily when we think about energetics and the way plants actually work, it's not like a pill. So we're not thinking about antivirals just in terms of it killing stuff. Mm -hmm. When I think of antivirals, I really have three goals or four goals, I should say. One is to create an inhospitable environment. So we're looking at herbs that heat the system. We're looking at herbs that call the vitality into action. So we're talking about stimulating herbs. And then I like herbs that mediate the inflammatory process through cooling that relaxes and moves without suppressing the immune response. Mm. So what I mean by that is herbs that actually take the circulation and the lymphatic, cha lymphatic channels, relaxes them, and helps move heat. So it's that getting old stuff out and bringing new stuff in without actually suppressing the inflammatory response that we want to preserve. And this is where I use mints more than anything else. Yeah. And then the last category is just symptomatic support. So um, I wanna just run through these one by one. So what creates an inhospitable environment and what does that mean? And hit a, an inhospitable environment means creating a place in the body or a temperature or environment in the body where pathogens don't really feel super comfortable. And this allows our this al allows our body to attack them, but not really so, not attack them like kill them. But the viruses just can't live and survive. Mm. So um, these herbs then kind of do a similar thing that us running a fever would do. So when we run a fever and we take our body temperature, our core body temperature up a little bit, what our body's really trying to do is create an inhospitable environment where viruses and pathogens can't live because it's just too hot. So we can use herbs that help do that as well. So these are kind of the fire cider herbs. So I do like ginger, garlic, onion, cayenne, turmeric, and oregano um, because they help create that environment where pathogens just aren't comfortable. Um, and then I have here as well, remember that these are strong, potent herbs with the potential to worsen the inflammatory cascade. So I don't use them long-term in big doses, but I don't really know any herbalist that does, you know, throw, throw strong, really, really heating herbs at somebody in big doses every single day. Mm. Um, so this is the first kind of category I have for quote unquote, herbal antivirals. The second is the calling the vital force to action. So we want to wake the immune system up. So this is the transition from building the wall to sending in the cavalry. So we want to wake up our, our immune army, so to speak, that, okay, it's time, it's time to go. Like we have this thing that's happening and we want to strengthen 
both our inflammatory response and we want to also strengthen our, our adaptive immunity. So for this, I like stimulating herbs. And this is where I have echinacea, elder, and rosemary are my three favorites. We didn't talk a lot about echinacea yet. I think it's probably worth talking about. Um, I like to use echinacea when you're in the very baby stages of an illness. So the first like couple days. Um, I think it can be really helpful then, but I don't use it when somebody's full-blown sick because it does have the tendency to focus on the immune building instead of the immune fighting. What do you think about that? Um, can you say that one more time? Yeah, so I use echinacea when people are just starting to get sick, but not through an entire yeah. illness. Yes, and, and I can say that through my experience as well as the uh, research evidence that we have mm -hmm. that it's just like, it does its thing just as you're getting sick. Yeah. And it's not, it's not preventative in like that. I use it every day of the winter or anything like that, but it's like that those first tickles when you first start feeling sick and it's a dropper every hour of echinacea. It's a lot. It's a lot of echinacea. But I have, it's been tried and true for me that way. Yeah. Yep. Me as well. Um, I think it's interesting in this category when we talk about stimulating herbs or herbs that can stimulate the immune system. It's interesting to me because I'm a nerd when it comes to Materia Medica and research and using herbs that one thing that echinacea and elder both have in common, common, which is rare, not rare, but not so common with herbal energetic is that they are both stimulants that are also cooling. And I think we, there's a lot of overlap between heating herbs and stimulating herbs, which I think makes sense intuitively because if you're stimulating somebody you're kind of shaking them and getting them to wake up you're also warming up the system yeah. um but it's really cool that echinacea and elder are stimulating but cooling which means that they're not they're not taking your inflammatory response and possibly throwing it over the edge the way that sometimes ginger or garlic can yeah. do heating um, that they're actually cooling, which again makes me think about elder. And if we're talking purely energetically and not talking about cytokines and interleukin and research and science, that elder is actually quite a cooling plant. So it stimulates your immune system and wakes it up, but it actually can help modulate inflammation instead of just turning it on no matter what. Yeah. So I that, cool. I, my suspicion is that that's what we're going to find out that yeah. in, in most cases that that's what's happening, but yeah. I'm speculating. And then I have rosemary in that category as well. So um, I actually have like 15 exclamation points next to it. Cause I think I wrote this when I was going through my rosemary phase. Um, stimulates metabolic organs, speeds up the metabolic rate and wakens the immune response. Mm. So it's kind of like the herbal equivalent of just taking your immune system and like shaking it and waking it up. And I think that's really cool. And I love rosemary. Um, and then the next one is kind of the mediate, we're trying to mediate the inflammatory response using herbs that kind of 
open up the channels and move inflammation and toxins, which you and I have already talked a lot about mm-hmm. uh, and how important that is when you're sick to keep the channels open, keep the lymphatics open, the circulation and the pores open. Um, this is where I really like yarrow peppermint. Um, One of my favorite combinations. Yes. So these are our moving herbs and because they move, they cool. So I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago, um, like probably 10 years ago, maybe eight, 10 years ago now, you and I had this long conversation about mints and I couldn't for the life of me understand how a plant would both be warming and cooling at the same time. And like, I couldn't get over it. And I think I harped on this for like weeks with you. I'm like, at least I just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Um, And it's a cool thing because you give somebody this plant that is actually warming. And when it warms, it opens up these channels, just like if you were to take, if you were to eat a curry. So you eat this really, really warming curry and you start sweating because you're getting hot. It's heating you up. But because it opened up all these channels, now all of the heat is moving from deep inside of you to the periphery. And you're actually, it's it's your body getting that heat out. That's why it opens up all these channels. Right. It it says, wow, I just ate something that's super, super hot. So now I have to cool myself down by opening up all of the channels and organs and um, channels of elimination. So that's how mints work. So it's got this warming, cooling thing going on that is super important when you're sick because it actually, um, it keeps our natural inflammatory response intact, but actually normalizes that congestion inflammatory paradigm by doing a little bit of both. I really, really, really love both yarrow, peppermint, and elder for this as well. Um, So that's my spiel on that. And then we already talked about symptomatic support. Um, And then I will say in that category as well, I use calendula a lot for people who are sick to open up the lymphatics. Yeah. Um, and they do the same sort of thing, keep things moving, open things up. Yeah. And, um, and then I think a lot of the other notes that I have on cold and flu, when I sat down to think about COVID-19 and the way that it seems to be manifesting in people, I, I transitioned my supportive care suggestions to lower respiratory instead of upper. Um, but we talked about a lot of that already, I think. So I think we can, we can do that. Uh, what else are you recommending to people? So I know you've got some different herbs on your list. Yeah, and I do. I'll, I'll post, just for time's sake, um, let me see. I, I'll post my, um, I have a Google Doc that I've started, and I'm, I'm planning on adding to because things are, we're learning every day, you know, and I definitely have some of the same things, a la campaign. I love the mints as well. Um, you know, and, um, basically the same thing. Um, and I did try to focus on things that were available. Yeah. That's a really, really important point as well. I loved your Google doc. I read it already. And I should also know that since I did my coronavirus blog post not even a week ago I have gone back and edited it three times yeah <laughs> and, and I think we're probably going to be doing that we're learning so much. Oh, 
hard. You were I doing feel that. like we're learning so much. It's yeah. you know, <laughs> and, 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 and it's revolutionary in many ways. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a terrible thing and it's a, it's an amazing thing at the same time because we're really, um, it's really pushing us to think about these things in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll, we'll be finding out a lot. I, somebody sent me, and I wish I could remember who or what or where I saw this. I've seen so many things in the last couple of weeks that have gone mm-hmm. through feed or emails that have come in or whatever, but that they in China that the traditional medicine doctors, when the traditional medicine doctors used herbs and I think acupuncture, that they found a significant improvement in the mortality rate. And I don't know where this was happening in pockets or in places or if it was happening in hospitals or how, how anything other than that there was uh, a significant difference when they were using traditional medicines, along with, of course, everything that conventional medicine has, which right now isn't much. And that's some of the problem is that um, they don't have anything. They have no, no, nothing they can do about this other than ventilators. And those are on short supply apparently. So. Yep. And I think that, you know, the Western medical practitioners, um, I shouldn't say Western because this is all over the world, not just the West, but the conventional, you know, medicine practitioners right now, they're struggling just as much as we are to figure out which work, what works and what doesn't. And they're, you know, their case studies and their, their data is changing every hour as well. So I think that everybody's doing the best that they can with really very little information. Um, the, only, the only other thing I think that we, in, in, you know, this would be another podcast, but just that some, uh, one of the ways that our immune system, one of the things we, best things we can do for immune system is not to be super stressed and hypervigilant, which I say that knowing that it's not like anybody wants to be feeling stressed and nervous and it is completely natural to be afraid right now. Everybody is. Mm -hmm. Um, But just keeping in mind as much as possible that, you know, doing whatever it is, your meditation, your daily walks, and, you know, doing your, and, and we're also, now we're all social distancing, so we're not having our our contact with each other, and that just getting it wherever you can and however you can, and really, it's about adapting. It's about finding the herbs that you have available to you. It's about making do with what you have. It's about maybe using moss for toilet paper. It's about singing from the balcony with your neighbors like they're doing in Italy and finding any way that you can and being easy on yourself. I think that's another thing is that, you know, what's that? I just, I think that that, that last point is a huge thing. Huge, huge, huge. I'm so glad you said that. Because it's like, we're, we're stress scrolling and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're on social media and well, some of it's, that's how we're getting our social contact right now. And then I do think sometimes it's like, all right, you need to set limits or take breaks. I know somebody said, you know, only check social media twice a day. 
And I, I think that's a good rule of thumb. It's hard for, for me, for instance, because a lot of the herbal conversations are going on on social media. And so I'm, I'm reading and following and, and learning there. But, you know, definitely stepping away. It is really easy, I feel like, to get caught up into, one, false reports or oh, reports found it. <laughs> so, oh, you know, you, you, what's that? Yeah. What's that? No, I just, I, I think that has been more than anything else in this whole thing, the false claims in bad science and like misinformation on social media has actually caused me more stress than anything else. Yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> even like just getting too wrapped up in the news because, you know, some of you, it, they're sensationalizing, of course, and and, or they're, you know, they don't have all the information. We, we just, we don't know. And mm -hmm. so, you know, somebody's just stepping away from that. And, um, you know, I really do think the social distancing is, is the quarantines is really super important, but I, I love some of the memes I've seen about it being in solidarity with each other, not in separation from each other, but just that this is something that we're all doing together. And in that way, we're connected. Just these are hard times. I think, I think it's also important to note that today's the vernal equinox. Today's the first yes. day of spring. <laughs> it is spring. And I think that spring is, you know, it's a, it's a call to change. It's a time for implementing plans. It's a time for action um, during a period or after a period where things have been relatively quiet and now we're talking about actually going out and doing and creating and actually making real changes and real impacts. And I think that's an important message for right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's a good time for us to go out and get things done and come together as a community and, you know, show our resilience. And I, I think today's a really good day to be doing this podcast and be talking about these issues and, yeah, perfect. And seeing this huge community call to action, which I think is a really beautiful thing. And it's not in great circumstances, but, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're supporting each other in these little ways that we never had before. And it, it's happened virtually overnight. And, you know, it, it, I think that it's a it's good to be reminded that there's some celebration yeah. as well. What's so, I think it's, it's good for us to, to be reminded that there's something to celebrate in, in yes. that as well. Yes, so important. And then, you know, just also giving you, you know, just all the kudos and respect for you and your husband are both on the front, front line. Your husband's in, in the he's front, front line. Like he's, he's the one like up on the horse in the middle of the field, like 10 yards in front of everybody else who's on the front line. So just shout out to him. And he's, I know he's, he's working really hard to make sure our infrastructure doesn't fall apart around us. And um, that's really important. So, um, and then all the ICU nurses, doctors, ER staff, first responders, you know, I, I just have incredible support and admiration and respect for all of them, which are a lot of my friends and, and family and you know all the all the love in the world goes out to them as well yeah for sure well thank you for joining us thank you for having me this was wonderful yeah so you have so much it's just you have your wealth of wisdom knowledge and from all different 
areas and well I learned from the best what can I say (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks Lauren okay bye Lisa thank you you for joining us everyone for today's episode of the wild under root podcast all of the links that we spoke about in the show can be found at therootcircle.com the root circle is a center for plant medicine and folk magic where you can find my blog videos and our shop our upcoming events for the time being because of the covid19 pandemic have been postponed but please check out our online class offerings. This show was produced in full by myself and my co-host, Pete Bianco. If you enjoyed it, please consider making a donation to its continued production, as well as our wish list of recording equipment upgrades. The music that we played on the show is by our friends and our favorite band, Old Lang Syne, Timothy and Kathy Dick, who are members of our local community and are now located in Brisbee, Arizona. At the end of this, I have played a song from their latest album release called Nostalgia, and the song itself is called Nostalgia. You can find them on Bandcamp. I will have the link in our show notes. Thank you for tuning in, and please, everyone, be well, stay safe, and stay home if you can. Knocked on the
got me licked And I'm not ready for this forbidden game